Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, as I have been announcing, but today is my pleasure, uh, really my pleasure to have with us uh, a sister in Christ, uh, the Reverend uh, Pastor Joyce uh, Brooks. Uh, Joyce is a part of the clergy team at uh, St. James Anglican Church in Newport Beach, but beyond that, uh, she is also planting a church, uh, trying to reach uh, the Jewish people for Christ and to serve them in the name of Christ uh, in the area of La Habra. And uh, we know each other for many years. Um, I was at both her ordinations to the diaconate and the priesthood. Uh, probably presented you at one of them. I probably did. Um, but in a conversation we were having one time at a, at a meeting of a number of clergy of our deanery, it came up that, that sometimes so much the focus of the church, whether intentional or unintentional, and I believe it's more unintentional, is toward married couples. A lot of what we do, a lot of what we say, either marriage conferences or marriage this, or couples do things together, or that sort of thing, and it came out in the conversation that we don't do enough, or preach enough, or teach enough, or encourage enough uh, the singles in their ministry, and to acknowledge them, and to recognize it, and to rejoice and celebrate it. And... Um, and I, I thought to myself, actually, I've been a priest 33 years, and I've never preached a sermon really addressing the issue of our single members of the church. And I thought, who better to do this than Joyce? And she'll tell you more about her life. But uh, I approached her, and immediately she said, yep, I'll be there. I uh, just... Uh, Give me the date and, and I'll be there. And so it is my pleasure today to, uh, to have uh, my friend Joyce, uh, Pastor Joyce uh, Brooks with us. And I'll let uh, her lead you in prayer and, and let's uh, allow the Lord to speak to us through her. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we... Thank you for bringing us together to worship you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this opportunity to meditate on your word. And Lord, I pray that every word I say would be of you. And I pray that you would enable each one here to receive the words you have for them. And all this we lift up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in my mid-twenties, I remember someone making the observation that the books written to help Christians survive as singles were written by married people. The authors may have married later in life, but nevertheless, the How to Be a Victorious Christian single books seemed to have been written by people who had made it through their single phase and had now safely arrived at marital bliss. Well, today that's not the case. I'm 56 years old and I've never been married. Now, it's not that I never wanted to be married. As a child, I assumed I would, and I dreamed about my wedding. But 
But as time went on, I found I did not seem to be able to find a man that I was interested in marrying. I dated some in college, but sensed I wasn't ready to get married. I dated a bit more in graduate school, but often found that the men I went out with were less interested in serving God than I was. And by that time, those men who were sold out for God were already married. Now, if getting married had been a priority for me, I did have one or two opportunities to do so. But in the end, marriage just did not seem right for me. And about 20 years ago, I sensed God telling me that he had called me to serve him as a single woman. And so I no longer look for a husband, and I do not encourage anyone who may show me any romantic interest. I'm enjoying the Lord God of hosts as my husband, and I feel free to focus my energies on serving him. Of course, all of us start out as singles. Most of us choose to get married. Some of us make a conscious choice to remain single. Some of us stay single because of circumstances. And many who have been married become single again. But no matter whether we are married or single or single again, God calls all of us to love him first and foremost. You may recall that Jesus once was asked what the most important commandment was, and in response, he recited the Shema. It's the fundamental statement of Hebrew faith found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, we could reflect on what that looks like for an entire weekend, but one way to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength is to intentionally choose to remain unmarried so that you can focus your attention on loving and serving God. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There he makes it clear that he is single and he likes it that way. He even says, I wish that all were as I myself am. For one thing, Paul says, marriage is hard. Those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that, he says. On the other hand, if sex is really important to you, then go ahead and get married. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion, Paul says. And if you do marry, you have not sinned. Now, Paul makes a point of saying that his counsel to remain single is his own opinion. He's not giving a commandment from the Lord. Yet, he says, I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. But Paul gives yet another reason for advising the Corinthian Christians to refrain from marriage. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. 
But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So, Paul says in his opinion, it is easier for an unmarried man to focus their attention on pleasing the Lord. Unlike married men, they do not have the distraction of making their wife happy. And the unmarried woman can dedicate herself to the Lord in body and spirit. A wife has to spend time and energy looking after her husband, but a single woman can, be, can devote herself to God. Paul goes on to say, I say this to you for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me say that last part again. I say this for your own benefit, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Yet Paul acknowledges that the single life is not for everyone. He does say each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And yet, as we look at scripture and Christian history, we do see God calling gifted select men and women to serve him as celibate individuals. God gives some the grace to forego marriage so they can give undivided devotion to the Lord. The rabbi suggests that Joshua may have been an unmarried man. You may recall that Joshua was Moses' assistant and protege who, after Moses died, led the people of Israel into the promised land. In Exodus 33, we read that after the golden calf fiasco, Moses would pitch the tent of meeting outside the camp, and it was in that tent of meeting where the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Moses would come and go from the camp to the tent and back, but, Scripture says, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, would not depart from the tent. So Joshua stayed in the tent of meeting. That suggests that Moses had no wife or children to go and spend the evening with. Furthermore, the Hebrew word used to describe Joshua in this passage could mean either young man or unmarried man. On top of that, there are no descendants listed for Joshua in the genealogy in 1 Chronicles chapter 7. If this is true even if it is true for just a season, it shows that Joshua spent dedicated time in the place where God met Moses face to face. While Moses went into the camp and took care of administrative details and spent time with his wife and children, Joshua stayed in the tent of meeting, likely praying and worshiping the Lord. What an excellent way to prepare for the leadership responsibilities that he would have later in life, taking an entire nation into the Promised Land. While we do not know for certain if Joshua was single, we do know that Anna the prophetess was. We meet her in Luke chapter 2, at the age of 84. Anna had been married as a young woman, but after only seven years, her husband died. Once she was widowed, she did not marry again. Instead, she stayed in the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. 
When Mary and Joseph went to the temple to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as commanded in the Torah, Anna came up to them and began giving thanks to God. Then she went on to speak of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In a sense, Anna became an evangelist while Jesus was still a baby. We've already mentioned that the Apostle Paul was an unmarried man. His life demonstrated the epitome of undivided devotion to the Lord. In just over 10 years' time, Paul planted churches in four Roman provinces. But his ministry was a challenge. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul described how hard it had been to accomplish the work God had assigned him. Three times I was beaten with rods, he said. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, in the danger in the wilderness, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger um, at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Whether or not you agree with Paul that it is better to remain single instead of getting married, I think we could all agree that it would have been difficult for him to persevere in a ministry as treacherous and challenging as his was if he, had, if he had been married. God gave Paul a gift of celibacy because his assignment for God's kingdom required undivided devotion to the Lord. Of course, the most significant example of one who did ministry as a single adult is that of Jesus Christ. His assignment from God, the Father, who required undivided devotion. After all, Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This required an itinerant ministry that kept him in constant demand for three years, and this was a challenge. He once told a prospective follower, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus needed mobility and flexibility. He needed the ability to stay focused on his core mission. For Jesus, marriage would have been a major distraction. And of course, ultimately, Jesus came to die for us. And frankly, that being the case, It would have been irresponsible to marry, knowing that he would intentionally abandon his wife and children at his crucifixion. And so Jesus chose to remain unmarried so that he could focus on obeying his father. As he said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. A normal life as a married man was one of the things Jesus lost for the sake of God's kingdom. But by doing so, he was able to focus on his mission to die for us so that you and I 
could live with him for eternity. As Pastor Kevin Miller said in a recent issue of Leadership Journal, we follow a savior who never got married or had sex, yet lived life to the full. Now, church history is filled with examples of men and women who chose to remain unmarried out of undivided devotion to the Lord. In the early church, there was an order of widows comprised of older women who were financially supported by the congregation to enable them to do ministry. Widows who were part of this religious order were involved in intercessory prayer, fasting, and the laying of hands on the sick. The ministry was different from that of women who were ordained as deacons. The early church deployed female deacons to do more active ministry, such as taking communion to women who were shut-ins, bathing the sick, helping the needy, assisting with the baptism of women. But when we look at the history of Christian missions, we find that many of the missionaries were unmarried men and women. For example, St. Patrick was a priest and a bishop who went from his home in Britain to Ireland as a missionary somewhere around 431 AD. During his ministry, Patrick planted over 200 churches and baptized an estimated 100,000 converts. Over 100 years after St. Patrick, Columba was born in Ireland. He was ordained a priest in 551, and 12 years later went to northern Britain to do evangelism among the Picts in what we now call Scotland. So for 30 years, Columba ministered in that territory, planting churches and establishing monasteries from his headquarters in the island of Iona. Boniface was born in Devonshire, England, around 675. He became a monk, was ordained a priest, and consecrated a bishop. Ultimately, he went to Germany as a missionary, where he confronted paganism by, among other things, chopping down a so-called sacred oak tree to demonstrate that the pagan gods were nonsense. He has been called the greatest of all missionaries in the Dark Ages, and his ministry laid the groundwork for the Christian revival that took place during the reign of Charlemagne. In 1212, Francis of Assisi began a missionary outreach to Muslims in Syria. And in the 1500s, Jesuit missionary Francis Xavier took the gospel to India and Japan, and the Jesuit Matthew Ricci preached the good news in China. The 19th and 20th centuries saw a significant number of single women missionaries. Amy Carmichael was from Northern Ireland, but she spent 55 years as a missionary in India. Her ministry included rescuing children who had been trafficked as temple prostitutes for Hindu men. Twelve years after she began that rescue ministry, she was taking care of 130 children, and hundreds more were rescued, educated, and provided for in the decades to come. Gladys Aylward was born in London in 1902 and became a domestic servant at the age of 14. She had an encounter with Christ in her 20s and applied to serve with China Inland Mission in 1930. 
but the mission board turned her down, saying she wasn't qualified. However, that didn't stop Alice. Convinced that God wanted her to go to China as a missionary, she saved up her earnings as a parlor maid and bought a railroad ticket from Liverpool and traveled through Europe, Russia, Siberia, and Manchuria. Finally, Gladys made it to China. Her first ministry assignment was assisting a widowed missionary who ran an inn for mule drivers in Yangcheng. Later, she became a foot inspector for the Chinese government, going from place to place to ensure that the laws against female foot binding were being followed, and she witnessed for Jesus as she went. Eventually, she began adopting children who had been abandoned. And by World War II, she was looking after war orphans as well. In 1940, she led nearly 100 children over the mountains out of Japanese-occupied territory to safety in Sion. Ultimately, her story was told in the movie The Inn of Six Happinesses, starring Ingrid Bergman. And she was featured on the BBC program, This Is Your Life. So much for China Inland Mission's assessment that she was not qualified to be a missionary. Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot were single American missionaries who brought the good news of Jesus Christ to the Waurani, a violent Stone Age tribe in the jungles of Ecuador in 1958. Two years earlier, Rachel's brother Nate and Elizabeth's husband Jim had been speared to death while trying to make contact with members of the same tribe. Subsequently, a young Guarani woman named Dayuma escaped from the violence of her tribe and came in contact with American missionaries. While serving as a language informant for Wycliffe Bible translators, Dayuma came to accept Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And it was Dayuma who led Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot into the jungle to visit her people. And so two single women, one who had never been married and one who was a widow, planted a church in a jungle, a church that thrives to this day. These examples demonstrate how those who are single or who are single again have made a difference for God's kingdom. But God does not expect every unmarried follower of Christ to move to the jungle to share the gospel or to plant a church or establish an orphanage or rescue human trafficking victims. But as Christians who are single, we do have the luxury of giving undivided devotion to God. That may enable us to have a ministry, excuse me, like that of Anna the prophetess, spending extended time in prayer and worship. It may provide the ability to focus on a ministry of intercessory prayer, as those in the early church who belonged to the order of widows. Or it may allow an unmarried person to offer devotion to God by assisting refugees, tutoring elementary school children, writing notes of encouragement to soldiers stationed overseas, or knitting booties for the babies of unwed mothers who have sought help at a crisis pregnancy center. Whatever the ministry God gives to those who are single or single again, we have the privilege of carrying it out without being distracted by trying to please our spouse. Now, that is not to say that ministry as an unmarried person is always easy. 
Many, possibly even most, singles wrestle with loneliness, at least from time to time. Amy Carmichael, the missionary in India, was desperately lonely, and to help provide companionship for herself and other single women who worked alongside her, she formed a Protestant religious order called the Sisters of the Common Life. Gladys Aylward desperately wanted to be married, and she prayed that God would send a husband to her in Yangcheng. A few months ago, I shared with a friend who's never been married how it was that I believed God had called me to serve him as a single woman. This friend is around my age. She has a PhD, and she's a professor. By all outward signs, she would appear to be strong and accomplished and complete. And yet, she told me that I was fortunate to have had such a clear message from the Lord because she was still longing and waiting for a husband. And even though I am content with being unmarried and enjoy living alone, I have no one I can call in the last minute to ask if they'd like to go out for pizza. My single friends are as busy as I am, and we need to schedule our outings weeks ahead of time. And even though I feel comfortable having a meal with a married couple, couples tend to prefer to socialize with other couples. Another challenge that single adults may face is not having anyone to help them process their thoughts or, and feelings or to listen to their frustrations. While I realize that married couples do not always get along, in theory at least, marriage provides a natural support system. But a single adult may not have anyone to talk through what to do if they face a financial challenge. They may not have a natural confidant to talk to about difficulties at work. They may not have anyone they feel comfortable asking to stop by the grocery store for them if they feel unwell. Or they may have difficulty finding someone who can take them to and from a medical procedure. To those who are single and wrestle with grief over never having been married, or the loss of a spouse to death or divorce, and to those who are single and wrestle with loneliness and miss having someone to help and support you in the rough and tumble of life, let me assure you that you are not alone because God cares. In fact, it was our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 7 that God used to drive this home to me a number of years ago. While I, in my head, knew that God loved me, I had a hard time embracing that reality and allowing it to seep into the depths of my soul. But then I read this passage about Jesus bringing the only son of a widow back to life. And I knew enough about the cultural backgrounds of the New Testament to recognize that Jesus saw more than just a grieving mother, although he certainly understood the pain of losing a child. But you see, Luke tells us that the mother was a widow, and the dead man was her only son. This is important because in New Testament times, women could not inherit property. Without a husband or a son to protect her, she was at risk, financially and otherwise. So when Jesus saw this widow who had just lost her only son, Scripture tells us that he had compassion on her. 
and he showed his love by bringing her son back to life. Jesus did empathize with her grief, but he also was concerned about taking care of her very real financial and social needs. And in the same way, Jesus has compassion on you and on me. And so if you are single, whatever pain you feel and challenges you face, know this, God cares. At the same time, note that both Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul were intentional at doing ministry in teams. Jesus recruited 12 disciples that he trained and equipped while he went about preaching and teaching and healing. And of those 12 disciples, Jesus had three who were especially close friends, Peter, James, and John. Jesus even appears to have had a best friend, John, who was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Jesus set a precedent for doing ministry in teams. When he sent out 72 of his followers to do evangelism, he sent them out in pairs. Paul followed this pattern as well. When he went on his first missionary journey, he went with Barnabas, as directed by the Holy Spirit. On his second missionary journey, Paul took Silas as his ministry partner and recruited others such as Timothy and Luke along the way. So you see, God's intention is not that we do ministry on our own, but that we do it as part of a team. And so if you are single and God calls you to a ministry, I encourage you to follow Jesus' example and find a ministry partner. Now, to those of you who are married, I remind you of this. All those who love Jesus Christ are sons and daughters of God the Father. The Father predestined all of us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. Whether we are married or single, we are all members of the household of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and our Heavenly Father expects us to get along. Jesus' prayer the night before he died was that we would all be one, even as he and the Father were one. And Paul instructed the church in Galatia to bear one another's burdens and to not grow weary in doing good. And he went on to say, as we have opportunity, do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So if God has called you to serve him as a married person, then I encourage you to not overlook your single brothers and sisters. Don't forget them. Don't take them for granted. Listen to their pains, their hurts, their longings, their fears. Affirm them. Support them. Invite them to dinner. Think of them on holidays. Offer your friendship, not your pity. They don't need your pity. They need a friend. Embrace them as members of the family of God. Empower them to do ministry. Welcome them as part of your ministry team or offer to become their ministry partner. Recognize and celebrate what they do for God's glory. Because singles in God's kingdom have a high and noble calling. They have this special gift from God, which allows them the privilege of offering undivided devotion to the Lord. Amen. Amen.